If you have your Bibles this morning, we want to uh, turn to the book of Zephaniah. We're still in the Minor Prophets. Uh, we'll be in the Minor Prophets uh, again next week, so you can kind of save a, a bookmark there and uh, come back to it next week because we're talking about the next book. So, uh, Zephaniah 3, uh, I'm not going to read all three chapters, uh, so that's good, but I'm going to cover all three chapters throughout this sermon. And so kind of kind of keep your place right there. We'll be back and forth uh, from that. So let's read Zephaniah 3. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. Her officials Within her are roaring lions. Her judges are evening wolves that leave nothing till the morning. Her prophets are fickle, treacherous men. Who Her priests profane what is holy. They do violence into the law. The Lord within her is righteous. He does no injustice. Every morning he shows forth his justice. Each dawn he does not fail. But the unjust knows no shame. I have cut off nations, their battlements are in ruins. I have laid waste their streets so that no one walks in them. Their cities have been made desolate without, without a man, without inhabitants. I said, surely you will, you will fear me, you will accept correction. Then your dwelling would be, not be cut off according to all that I have appointed against you. But all the more they were eager to make all their deeds corrupt. Therefore, wait for me, declares the Lord, for the day when I rise up to seize the prey, for my decision is to gather nations, to assemble kingdoms, to pour out upon them my indignation, all my burning anger, for in the fire of my jealousy, all the earth shall be consumed. For at that time, I will change the speech to the people to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Skip down to verse 14. Sing aloud, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O Israel. Rejoice and exalt with all your heart, O daughter of Jerusalem. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord is in your midst. You shall never again fear evil. On that day it shall be said to Jerusalem, Fear not, O Zion, let not your hands grow weak. The Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with loud singing. I will gather those of you who mourn for the festival so that you will no longer suffer reproach. Behold, at the time I will deal with all your oppressors. And I will save the lame and gather the outcast, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. At that time, I will bring you in. At that time, when I gather, when I gather you together, for I will, I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. May God bless the reading and the preaching of his word this morning. You may be seated. As I said earlier, um, 
if you were to uh, read uh, this, this week or listen to any of the podcasts that we shared via social media, uh, you would have known um, that this text is not easy. Um, I am uh, I'm blown away, though, and I hope that you will be as well by the ending of this sermon. Um, because there is a lot of injustice in the world. There's a lot of uh, anger and bitterness in the world today. But more importantly, we live in a society that struggles with their identity. That's why I've titled this sermon, Identity Crisis. We live in a society that struggles with their identity. We live in a world that says, if you are a girl and you want to be a boy, you can. Uh, And vice versa, if you want to be a cat, be a cat, right? Whatever makes you happy in life when it comes to identity, be what makes you happy. We have lost who we really are. We have lost who we really are, and we've replaced it with temporary happiness. We listen to everyone around us except God's word. We have become a selfish and stubborn society. We live as if judgment is not coming. And we come to scripture like this, and we see the very same thing that we as a society are facing. Israel is being warned of the judgment that is going to come. But it also gives us a beautiful picture of how God will take care of his chosen people. We, we are reading right now what is going on in our society and has been going on ever since the fall of man, right? And so I, I want to give you a little bit of context of Zephaniah. If you're not familiar with the book of Zephaniah, Zephaniah has royal blood. His great-great-grandfather was Hezekiah, the great Jewish king, and it seems that Zephaniah is from a faithful family. We see, we see a clue here with his name. Zephaniah's name means Yahweh has hidden. See, this is significant because he was born, it seems, during a terrible reign of King Manasseh. Uh, he, is, uh, he was born during a difficult and faithless time in Israel's history. The text goes on to say that uh, he is a son of Cushi, uh, which uh, c- connects him with Cush. Cush was the name of, an, uh, of ancient Ethiopia where modern Sudan is. See, Zephaniah most likely has African blood. So what is this all about? What, why are we listening to, uh, to this voice thousands of years later? That is because judgment is coming. Judgment is coming on Judah and surrounding nations and this son of Cush who walked in royal circles most likely who was speaking words that were addressing condemnation to the Jewish elites of his days. How bold that, that had to be. He is speaking words of judgment on Judah. He is speaking words of judgment on surrounding nations and even the whole world. It's not just Judah. It's not just Judah's enemies. We see, we see this light at the end of the tunnel, though, right? There is salvation uh, and there is hope. But before all of that, there is a world facing judgment. Our world will face judgment. 
The book opens up with the word of the Lord in chapter 1. It requires our attention and obedience. But, but through chapters 1, 2, and the beginning of chapter, th- chapter 3, the people of Israel <laughs> refuse to listen. Let me, let me rephrase that. The people of America, the people of Africa, the people of the world refuse to listen. And because of their disobedience, they will be taken over, we will be taken over by another power. And Zephaniah is predicting that this new power, really going back to Judah here, and that new power is Babylon, will, uh, will, will make Judah desolate. We're going to see that later on. See, there's many reasons for this, but the people of God in this text were surrounded by foreign powers, and they have become oppressed. We see this in chapter 3, 1 and 2. Woe to her who is rebellious and defiled, the oppressing, the oppressing city. She listens to no voice. She accepts no correction. She does not trust in the Lord. She does not draw near to her God. I've said it before. But this is your first point. I want you, to, I want you to, to make sure that you write this down. The first thing that I want you to see today is that God will bring judgment. If you don't believe it, look at what's around us. God will bring justice. That's, I, I want you to have that in your head. God will bring justice. God will bring judgment. See, this judgment is on Israel, though. We're, we're going back here. But if we look back to the first chapter of Zephaniah, we see that this judgment is not just on the people of Israel. We see the scope of judgment is to be expanded to the whole world. The world itself will be subject of of God's cosmic judgment. We see God's wrath poured out on the rebellious uh, of the earth. Zephaniah 1, 15 through 17, a day of wrath is That day, a day of distress and anguish, a day of ruin and devastation, a day of darkness and gloom, a day of clouds and thick darkness, a day of trumpet blast and a battle cry against the fortified cities and and against the, the lofty battlements. I will bring distress on mankind so that they shall walk like the blind because they have sinned against the Lord. Their blood shall be poured out like dust and their flesh like dung. I told you this wasn't easy. This this is a view that the New Testament picks up on, right? Peter most likely had this passage in his mind when he said this in 2 Peter 3, 10 through 12. But the day of the Lord will come like a thief, and then the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the heavenly bodies will be burned up and dissolved, and the earth and the works that are done on it will be exposed. Since all these things are thus to be dissolved, What sort of people ought you to be in uh, lives of holiness and godliness, waiting for and hasting the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be set on fire and dissolved, and the heavenly bodies will will melt as they burn. We always preach that there, there is no conflict, there is no contradiction in Scripture, and the Old Testament is just as important as the New Testament. We are not to unhitch ourselves from the Old Testament, right? Everything from the Old Testament predicts and plans and pursues and points towards Jesus, right? 
So we can go back and forth here, right? We, this day of the Lord language is used here elsewhere in scriptures. It refers to God's final move to execute justice, to establish the right order in the world. What will happen on that final day of judgment? Scripture says that God will crush the foreheads of all oppressors. He will take their power away and exercise dominion over the entire world. See, what is unique is the universal scope of the judgment that is being talked about. There is language from Genesis here, and it picks up, uh, it's picked up by Zephaniah. God is referring to the book of Genesis. Listen to chapter 1 of Genesis, verse 2. I will utterly sweep away everything from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. See, that, the, the, that language from face of the earth uses flood language from the days of Noah, where God judges the whole world. Chapters 1 through 3, I will sweep away man and beast. I will sweep away the birds of heaven and the fish of the sea and the rubble with the wicked. I will cut off mankind from the face of the earth, declares the Lord. If you go back to Genesis 1, one of the things that you will find is that God's creation is laid out in an orderly uh, sequence, right? And here in Zephaniah, it seems to be reversing it. It seems uh, what God is communicating is that this coming universal judgment will be a sort of decreation that affects and hits everything. In chapter 2, we see the destruction of the Philistines. Uh, Philistines was a, a prominent enemy of Judah and Israel. They lived uh, on the coast, which was west of Israel. Uh, they were a powerful nation. We know this because during Zephaniah's time, it took Egypt over 29 years to overpower the city of Ashdod. Here in chapter 2, it says that Ashdod will fall by noon in just one day. That's God. That's God. See, we've already heard about Assyria and Nineveh in other sermons on the Minor Prophets. And here we see them again in Zephaniah 2, 13. I wish, this is where I wish I was like Cody. I wish that I could, I could write and, and talk at the same time. Because there's so many, like he would be like marking that thing up. I mean, like this, this is going back and forth so much. And uh, it's so awesome how all this connects. But Yet again, in Zephaniah 2, 13, God is going to stretch out his hand against the north and destroy Assyria. And he will make Nineveh a desolation, a dry wasteland like the desert. See, Assyria was the most powerful empire in the world at the time of this writing. They controlled many areas for hundreds of years. In 723 B.C., they were conquered. They, they conquered the northern kingdoms of Israel, capital Samaria. Sending the people of the northern kingdom uh, of Israel into exile. I don't know if you've uh, seen the movie, I Am Legend. I love movies. That's one thing about me. I love watching movies. Uh, but it is set in New York City after a virus which was originally created to cure cancer has wiped out most of mankind, leaving Neville, which is Will Smith, as the last human uh, in New York City, right? Other than these nocturnal mutants. Anybody? Anybody? I am legend? I mean, thank you. Okay. All right. But he goes through the city that has uh, not been maintained and really destroyed by all the chaos that has happened over the years, right? Some of our more seasoned members might remember the movie Planet of the Apes. Planet of the Apes? Thank you. Yes! I hit on all levels. Here we go. Um, 
where everything in Planet of the Apes, right, is destroyed. We, uh, the, uh, probably the original Planet of the Apes, we see the Statue of Liberty on this mountain, this, this grown-up vegeta- vegetation and, and all that stuff. And like, what have you done, right? Uh, like, n- nobody? Okay, evidently I'm the only one. But that's, that's, the, that's the imagery uh, that we see here. The vegetation is grown up. People, this it, the wasteland is, is desolate, right? This is the imagery uh, here that we see in chapters 2, 13 through 15. Animals have replaced people and buildings lay in ruin. Verse 15 says, what a desolation she has become. But notice, notice the tense here. Right? English teachers, I think that's right, English. My wife's an English teacher, she's going to get on to me. What a desolation she has become. See, Zephaniah is so confident that this is going to happen that he actually says it in the present tense. And happen, it does. A new superpower comes on the scene. The Babylonians emerge on the scene and conquer Nineveh in 612 B.C. Zephaniah knew it was going to happen way before that. God, God revealed that to Zephaniah way before Nineveh even was taken over. See, really what Zephaniah is driving at here is that all the, the countries that surround Judah that have oppressed her will face judgment. That the cry of a powerless people will not go on forever. He's addressing Judah here again. God will set the world right. All will be addressed on that day. And this judgment on these surrounding countries is a foretaste for Zephaniah of what will come in the end of the final judgment. In light of all this, we have to ask ourselves, why the judgment in the first place? What clues does Zephaniah give us to why this judgment is coming? And then we turn to Zephaniah 1, 4 through 6 and see that the people of God have turned to false gods like Baal and creation, among many more. people of God, who have the revelation of God, who were to be the light to the nations, are now worshiping these false gods instead of proclaiming the true God to the nations. America, who are supposed to be a Christian nation, who are supposed to love God, are worshiping God on Sunday and Wednesday and also worshiping false gods throughout the week instead of proclaiming the true God to the nations. We have those who are worshiping Yahweh as well as all the other gods. America is worshiping Yahweh among all the other gods. Notice the reference to Milcom in verse 5. This is another small God for sure. But this is referring to the worship of Molech, uh, where service to Molech frequently involved the sacrifice of children. I wonder how often we bring our children to church 
but give them full access to the world on their phone. This is not part of my notes. I'm probably going to get in trouble for this. But we are allowing, we, we want our children to come in and worship our God, worship the Savior of the world, but we want to give them full access to the world as soon as we leave or even now during service, right? And there's nothing wrong with screen time. Like, please know that I give my kid a, a, a YouTube kids as, as quick as possible. I am, I am right there with you, right? Like, please just, like, I just need to think for like five seconds. Ears, ears blippy. I mean, you know what I'm saying? You're not a bad mom, all right? You're not a bad family if you give your, your kids screen. That's, that's not what I'm saying. But whenever you give your kids full access to whatever they want to look at, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, Facebook, Facebook Vanish, Facebook, uh, or all this stuff where they're, they're message, messaging whoever they want to message and talk to whoever they want to talk to, you're giving them access. You're giving, unlocking the keys to the world to them and saying, here you go. I have boundaries on my life. My wife has boundaries on her, her life. My kids have boundaries on their life. We can't just come in here and expect them to understand who God is whenever they have the world at their fingertips. There's nothing wrong with putting boundaries in your life. God is warning against this. We're, we, we say, how dare you sacrifice children? And that's what we do. Sorry. Look at chapter. Let's get back to it. <laughs> Look at chapter one. I'm 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 in trouble. I know. Look at chapter one, uh, verse twelve. Because judgment's not just coming on the world. Judgment's not just coming on the people uh, that surround Israel. But judgment is coming on Jerusalem. At that time, I will search Jerusalem with lamps. And I will punish the men who are complacent. Those who say in their hearts, the Lord will not do good, nor will he do ill. The people of Israel are longing. They are longing for the day that her oppressors will face judgment. But they thought it would just be their enemies. Zephaniah says that God will not only judge Israel's enemies, but Israel as well. See, we have this language of God going through Jerusalem. He is hunting down the complacent who say that God won't do anything. He won't do anything bad. Uh, in fact, God isn't going to do anything at all. We come in contact with these same people throughout our work week, throughout our school, throughout our colleges. I don't believe in God. God's just going to, or, or better yet, God just made it and he said, here you go. That is not a loving God. And that is not what the Bible preaches at all. God doesn't just allow people to come in to, to, to love him for a little bit and then, you know, just, just go through life and God's not there. That's, God says he is near. He, he knows. He knows everything that you face. He knows exactly what you go through. He is not far from you. We'll find that out later on. I'm jumping ahead. But yet again, 
Zephaniah says that God's people have failed to repent. God's people have failed to repent. They don't ask for help. They don't worship. They just live for themselves and, and live their life without any care to God who, who led them out of Egypt into the promised land. We ourselves do the same thing. We, are, we, we can look in a mirror and see ourselves in this scripture. Right? <clears throat> At the heart of all this, what unites the sin of Judah and the world is not just the oppression, but the pride. You see, God will bring judgment, but God wants to save you from judgment. God wants to save you from judgment. Look at Zephaniah 2, 3. Seek the Lord, seek the Lord, all you humble of the land who do, do his just commands. Seek righteousness, seek humility. Perhaps you may be hidden on the day of the anger of the Lord. We see that to seek the Lord is to live with righteousness and humility before God. See, for Zephaniah, it is the humble who seek after holiness, who try to pattern their lives after God's standards. Because they have the humility to recognize that they can't live life without reverence to God. They can't figure it all out. They can't figure it all out. They are not wise enough. They are not strong enough. They need God and they need his word. You and I need that reminder every day. And sometimes it comes in a way that we don't like. But nonetheless, church family, we need God. Our country needs God. Our world needs God. Right? I'm not sure how you've been processing this. This text, um, maybe you're not a Christian. Maybe you don't know anything about um, a relationship with Christ. And, and maybe to some of you this morning, all this seems impossible to believe. Who believes in a God and the God of judgment anymore? God is love, right? God loves everybody. Come on in. We like to think of a God who is loving. But in Zephaniah 1, 17 through 18, it speaks of the God who is a jealous God. Who will consume the whole earth and nothing will be able to save those who have sinned against the Lord. See, this is something that we all struggle with, right? We have clouded our mind in the Western society. All of us, right? All of us have clouded our mind in the Western society. Think about it. Don't things make you angry? Think about the anger that we have towards those who come in and kill defenseless children and teachers at school like this past week. In Scripture, we see God's wrath, anger, and commitment to justice. The truth is, we also see those things in us as well, right? I hope you do. In our own way, we get angry at injustice. But it pales in comparison to the white hot anger that we see in Zephaniah. Tim Keller puts it this way. 
uh, when told that the very idea of, the, of a judging God was offensive. Listen to what he says. He says, why aren't you offended by the idea of a forgiving God? I respectfully urge you to consider your cultural locations when you find the Christians teaching about hell offensive. We, uh, he went on to point out that secular Westerners get upset by the Christian doctrine of hell, but they find biblical teachings about turning the other cheek and forgiving enemies appealing. In traditional uh, societies, the, the teaching about turning the other cheek makes absolutely no sense. It offends people's deepest instincts about what is right. For them, the doctrine of a God of judgment, however, is no problem at all. That society is repulsed by the aspect of Christianity that Western people enjoy and are attracted by the aspects that secular Westerners can't stand. See, here's the thing. If Christianity is really the truth about God, if if it really applies to all people, then we have to remove our thinking as Westerners and truly examine the text that's before us. We should expect, church family, we should expect Christianity and the message of Zephaniah to contradict and offend every human culture at some point. There is so much evil and destruction in our world right now. Do you, can you all agree with that? Right? We can all agree that if, if God is good, that if he wants this to stop, if he wants to get rid of this, surely he will judge the perpetrators of this. Right? Of all of this that's going on. But, but scripture that is in Zephaniah proves that he takes all of this more seriously than we do. See, we want to get rid of senseless shootings in our country. God wants to get rid of rage. We scandalize, we are, we're scandalized by adultery, but Jesus wants to deal with our lust. We're scandalized by murder. Jesus wants to cut out all unrighteous anger. And it's just not that. But God dishonoring greed, community, and relationship dividing gossip. The scope of God's care and judgment is so much broader and so much deeper than we can ever fathom. See, God judges sin because he loves the world. Because he loves us. We're in the middle of a a story that God has written and we know the ending. But if God didn't address the sin that has been taking place, it would be like a contractor that comes in to renovate the house. And instead of dealing with the mold, uh, he just painted over it. A contractor that instead of dealing with the leaks, he ignores them. Right? Instead of telling the owner about the bad foundation... He just builds on top of it. (laughs) What would happen to that home? Eventually, the mold would work through the paint. The leaks would spread and the foundation would destroy the house. What would we say about that contractor? My dad's a builder, home builder. He's been in the family business. Evidently, I'm a pastor, so uh, I didn't take after uh, the uh, contractor side of things. Building, right? But if I came in and I did that, you would think I was a fraud, right? That's what you would call me. We would say that this guy is a fraud. He is reckless and he doesn't care about the people who live there. 
That's exactly what we would say. Here's the thing. When Jesus Christ fixes the house, he will fix and judge everything. He will not jeopardize his new creation by ignoring sin because he loves himself and he loves the people who will live there. He will judge, as we learned about last week, because he is good and he is seriously committed to this new creation and he is making, that he is making in all of us. The next thing I want you to see, and this is really ties in, is because God sees who we really are. If we are honest and, 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 and truly face the truth about ourselves and our hearts, that leaves us with a big problem. You see, we've all turned our back on God. We've all turned our back on God at, at some point or another. Each time we, we chose that sin over what God would have for us. Each time we follow our own selfish desires instead of God's desires for our lives. The sin that we believe that we hide so well from those around us, right? What about our thought life? Oh my goodness. What about our thought life? What if someone, this is, this is bad, talking to myself, I'm preaching to myself here. What if someone could read a transcript of what our thought life was this past couple of days? God sees all this and more. We find ourselves, when it comes to relationships, we want people to love us for who we really are, Right? But oftentimes, we don't allow people to see who we really are. We believe that we can hide who we really are from an all-knowing God. Church family, we can't hide anything. We can't hide who we really are from God. We try to hide from others by our social media posts, right? We try to hide behind our achievements in life, by how much money we make, right? If we're truly honest with ourselves and peel back those false layers that we have put on and look inward, we're messed up. We're messed up. But, but that is where we have to stop looking inward and start looking upward. The next thing I want you to see is God will make you a new creation. God is making in you right now, if you are a Christian, a new creation. Yes, you are justified, but sanctification happens each and every day, right? He is making you a new creation. What if we were created by a personal God who gives us a mission and a calling and if that is true, what really matters is not what society tells you that you are, what you see yourself as, right? What truly matters is what God thinks of you. What truly matters is what God thinks of you, right? And that is the latter part of Zephaniah. That's what that's all about. Oh, <laughs> finally, right? Finally, finally, it's been doom and gloom this entire message. But Zephaniah is clear that a refuge can be found on this coming day of judgment. 
Look at uh, chapter 3. We're finally in chapter 3, right? Chapter 3, 9 through 10. For at that time I will change the speech of the people to a pure speech, that all of them may call upon the name of the Lord and serve him with one accord. From beyond the rivers of Cush, my worshipers, the daughters of my dispersed ones, shall bring my offering. Offering. This African Jew is looking at Cush and he's saying that they are going to come. Everyone will come from all over the world. People will come and God will change the speech of the people because his desires are to transform the nations into pure worshipers. This is what he wants, right? Spoiler alert, I'm going to go, I'm going to sidestep here for a second. We will most likely not be speaking English. I don't know if you know this or not, our Spanish-speaking people here. English is the hardest language in, in the world, right? All right, so we don't make sense, all right? Most likely, most likely, I, I, can't, I can't back this up. I'm going to speak out of for a second. Most likely, it will be Hebrew, all right? Just, just saying, I, I just wanted to, to make that clear. Man, we're going to speak English. No, we're not. Maybe a little southern Hebrew. I, I, I don't know what that is. All right. But the last thing, the last thing I want you to, to see this morning is not only will God make you a new creation, but God will rejoice over you as he does. Last thing I want you to see today is God rejoices over you. God rejoices over you. I was, I was, I just focused so much on this chapter and on this verse um, uh, this past week. I, I, I just, I just couldn't get it. I couldn't, I couldn't wrap my mind around it, right? But Zephaniah three seventeen, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exalt over you with a loud singing. What? What? Me? Me? You rejoice over me? Zephaniah 3.17 has been called the John 3.16 of the Old Testament. And I think you can see why, right? See, when we think about forgiveness, we don't think about it as what Zephaniah is saying here. We feel oftentimes, and I know that I do most of the times, feel that God forgives me begrudgingly, right? Yeah, yeah, I forgive you, right? Because we all can attest to forgiving those around us who have hurt us in some way, right? I'm going to forgive you, but I'm not going to be happy about it, right? Am I the only one? Okay, all right. Sorry, I'm, y'all are encouraging me. I, y'all just, I'm, whew, okay. I want you to see this morning, that is not how God shows forgiveness, he is, not a, he is not angry with you all the time. He do, you don't get on his nerves like our children do sometimes when we're trying to have a conversation in the car while three, uh, our, our three kids are asking question after question. And mostly Coleman is, is in this phase now where he is just asking some, some out there questions. And I'm like, I do, I don't have an answer. Like, why are trees green? I, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's just green. Ask a science teacher. Uh, anyways. But yet again. Just questions like that, right? But this is not at all how God sees us. Luke 12, 32, Jesus says, Fear not, little flock, for this is your Father's good pleasure, to give you the kingdom. Right? 
That text in Zephaniah 3.17 is about who God is. It's about the type of heart that God has. If you belong to Jesus, if you trust the gospel, he delights to save you. He forgives you, but he delights in you as he forgives you. Gosh, that's amazing, right? This speaks, this text speaks of God rejoicing over his people with joy and gladness. And this is amazing to think about. This is absolutely amazing to think about. In 1 Kings, I want to give you, I want to give you some scripture context here of what rejoicing we're talking about. In 1 Kings 1, Solomon is appointed, anointed as king, and the people were so excited, and their rejoicing was so great that the earth was split by their noise. That is the sound that God makes when he rejoices over you. Some of you are just like myself. You're thinking to yourselves that this can't be true. If you were to see my past and see my sins, there is no way that God would forgive me, let alone rejoice over me. Here's what Zephaniah says. God knows what you've done. And he says here that if you have trusted in Christ for forgiveness of sin, the Lord has taken away his judgment against you, and he rejoices over you. Look at chapter 3, verse 15. Let's back up a little bit. The Lord has taken away the judgment against you. That's where we're getting at, right? He has cleared away your enemies. The King of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. And you shall never again fear evil. He rejoices over you. Even though you have sinned, God rejoices over me even though I have sinned. For some of you this morning, God feels far away. You feel as if you're nobody. You feel as if you're so small. Maybe it's bullying at school. Maybe it's work. Maybe it's relationships. Let me read to you again, verse 15. The king of Israel, the Lord, is in your midst. He says this again in verse 17. The Lord, your God, is in your midst. God is not far from you this morning. He is there now and he is rejoicing over you. Some of you this morning are dominated by shame and you have been belittled. You have been manipulated. You have been slandered. And what Zephaniah is speaking here, you can't hear it. But consider Jesus. Unbelievable shame was thrown on his back. He was slandered and belittled by the same people that were praising him as he rode in just a week before his death. That's the Palm Sunday message, by the way. But all of this, right, right before his death. It is for this reason that Scripture says that we don't have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. Jesus knows who I am. Jesus knows who you are what you deal with, what you live with, and he fills it all with you. 
And his words for you this morning from Zephaniah 3.19 is this. Behold, at that time, I will deal with all your oppressors, and I will save the lame and gather the outcasts, and I will change their shame into praise and renown in all the earth. If you belong to Jesus, that is your true identity. That is your true identity. It is fixed. It is stable. And even if you fall and stumble from temptation, God is right there to pick you up and sing over you with love and forgiveness. Because judgment is coming. But if you are truly his, in verse 20 says, at that time I will bring you in. At that time I will gather you together. For I will make you renowned and praised among all the people of the earth when I restore your fortunes before your eyes, says the Lord. So who are you? Who are you today? Who do you identify? Do you identify with the world that says, just be happy? Or do you identify with God who says, be holy? For many of you in here today, you need to stop looking at self-help books and other social media posts of families that seem to have it all together. They don't. I'm just letting you know they don't, right? And start looking up. Look to a father that wants to forgive you and rejoice over you this morning, for you are a beloved son and a beloved daughter of the Most High God. That's who you are, right? Because judgment is coming, but you don't have to be a part of it. Jesus came and faced the righteous anger of God against sin on an epic scale, and he took it all on himself. God's anger and rage was all poured on Jesus as he hung on the cross. That is what he dreaded, not the nails in his hands and his feet, right? Jesus paid the penalty for you and for me. He offered himself as a sacrifice that we have the privilege to become sons and daughters of God. So submit to him this morning. Turn from your sin and put your wholehearted confidence in Jesus. Because he will save you. He will rejoice over you. God will sing and rejoice over the ones he saves. So let us sing praises to him as he sings over us. Let's pray this morning. Thank you for watching or listening to one of our sermons. We would love to have the opportunity to connect with you one-on-one. We are not a perfect church, but we are a joyful church, and we want to help you increase your joy in Christ. We would love for you to come and worship with us one day soon. You'll be able to find information about our worship services, about who we are, what we believe, what we do, what we're hoping to accomplish on our website at ironcity.org. And we would invite you to go and to check out all the information there. We look forward to seeing you soon.